that was the moment of like, oh my gosh, this isn't going to work. (laughs) Welcome to the Make Something Where You Are podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Houghton. And today I'm interviewing filmmaker Brandon Goodwin. Not about his successes, though he has them, but about a failure. I've learned a lot about failure over the years. Fortunately, I say, not sarcastically, I definitely have a fear of it and in some way it motivates me like in an unhealthy way. And in some ways I've gotten past it. So my theory is, is that overcoming fear is a muscle. You have to keep putting yourself out there in order to be okay with putting yourself out there. You have to fail in order to be not afraid of it. So he's afraid of nothing except some things. Brandon Goodwin. But first, we have sponsors. The Coffee Ethic. The Coffee Ethic has always lived by the simple principle of cup, people, earth. Dedicated to the art and science of brewing, the Coffee Ethic simply knows how to create a great cup of coffee. Now, this is so cool. They're offering a subscription service. You can get their coffee shop coffee delivered right to your door each month. It's really good. Learn more at thecoffeeethic.com and type in the promo code Make Something at checkout for 15% off of a delicious coffee subscription. It's also brought to you by Old Missouri Bank. Old Missouri Bank is always there to help you make something right here in Springfield. It's your locally owned community bank for futures made brighter, banking made better. Visit oldmissourybank.com for more information about how we can help you go for it from right here. All right, Brandon Goodwin. This is a, this is a, I like talking about failure. <clears throat> I do. I like finding out that failure, you can fail and like still survive. So Brandon's a good friend and I've always admired his knack for business and seeing decisions clearly. Not something I'm great at. Um, so he and his business partner, Joe, are some of the best filmmakers, videographers I know of. So their company, Blend, is very, very good. They shoot, uh, they work with a lot of national brands. They shoot the bits for the Mystery Hour, including Instagram Husband. They know how to make things beautiful and how to shoot and edit for comedy, which is big for us. Uh, that's all well and good, and they have a lot of good successes. But I wanted to talk to Brandon about failure. I'm less interested in success than I am in failure. So Brandon has built this successful company. He also had a technology invention a couple years ago. That was a great idea. So he jumped in all the way and it didn't really work. So I sat with Brandon in the balcony of the Galois Theater where we taped the Mystery Hour. Here's Brandon Goodwin. So what I want to talk to you about, which we talked about, was um, failure. Because I'm interested in failure. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's just an extremely blunt way to say it. Uh-huh. But first, your success is tell, tell you when listening about Blend okay. and what you do. How far back do you want me to go? Wherever you want. Let's, right. Yeah. Well, do you want the whole thing? How we, long is this podcast? I don't know. I think I'm going to shoot for like an hour-ish for each one. Okay. I think we have time. Okay, also, yeah. full disclosure, I'm going to treat this like a therapy session. Perfect. Which I very much enjoy. Yeah, we and both love therapy. We do. <laughs> and this hour is going to go by really quick for me <laughs> because I love working through my issues Yeah, <laughs> um, when I know other people are listening. Exactly. <clears throat> so um, starting at, I guess, the beginning of anything I could call like a career that I have was in high school. I, uh, I borrowed $5,000 from my dad mm-hmm. and I bought a, a <clears throat> titanium PowerBook G4 laptop. 
Okay. The first Apple laptop where you could burn DVDs. Yeah. I bought one of those, and I bought a Canon GL2 Mini DV 3 CCD camcorder. Yeah. And it, and it was like the camera. It was like four by three image. Uh-huh. It was like onto tape, uh, standard definition, but it was it was awesome for that time. Yeah. And I started shooting uh, videos for my church and for uh, the larger organization of churches that my church was a part of. And then also uh, I started shooting weddings. And then... Um, and then, this is also like a different time where like now everyone can kind of dabble. Yes. Like this was a, like that was such a rare thing for someone your age to have. Yeah, already. because the cameras on our phones now are like 10 times better than the camera yeah. that I paid $2,500 for right. back in 2002 or 2003. And so like the barrier to entry was pretty high still like the DSLR revolution in video production yeah. hadn't happened yet yeah and uh and even though it was rare to have a PowerBook G4 like those laptops were very you didn't see them out a lot uh-huh um and even the fact that you could edit on a laptop was pretty rare as well right so that was the setup yeah. back in 2002 I was a senior in high school and um then I just started yeah I started shooting uh videos basically like and then the guy I was shooting a lot of these videos with, from my perspective, and he might have a different story, but we've shot everything together. We'd go to summer camps, we'd mm-hmm. go to these mission trips, we would <clears throat> shoot these uh, things for the larger uh, convention, and but we our contact person was the same guy, and he he stopped. He basically started. He kept taking the phone calls. And at some point, just never, he stopped calling me, like the guy yeah. I was partnering with on all these things. Yeah. And so eventually, he started just doing all these jobs. And I was like, oh, I guess I don't do that work anymore because <laughs> he stopped looping me in on it, which yeah. is fine. And I don't think either of us really knew what we were doing. Yeah. I don't think he was malicious. Of course, I took it as malicious at the time. But right. like, but so then I started shooting uh, wedding videos, basically. And I did that for 10 years. Uh, yeah. And then uh, I started slowly working into like some commercial work and stuff. And then everyone happily gets out of weddings. Every every video person I know is yeah. happy to get into weddings and then happy to get out of it. Yeah, and the wedding world is this weird <clears throat> like subculture of people. Um, the wedding weddings never stop. They just never stop. And it's a yeah. great way to get started and get going. But it's, um, I was also like, a lot of people in the wedding industry are incredibly jaded. Like yeah. <laughs> dark individuals that do like that willingly. I, I don't know. Like there's some in the business that are just like taking people's money and yeah. whatever. That's fine, I guess. But it's it's a weird world. Of and the like, juxtaposition of like the happiest day of your life. Yes. And here's this extremely jaded person to shoot it. <laughs> well, and all the vendors are behind <clears throat> the scenes at these really fancy weddings, like just. Um, just you know trying to i don't know they're all complaining constantly yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what anyone does about the job though right, everybody right. complains about the job yeah. so uh i'm not not to say everyone's like that but that culture is there at yeah. some level and so um i but i never i never was like burnt out by shooting weddings like yeah. i always enjoyed i enjoyed the people i the, the way i shot weddings too was like i was very much like i'm not going to tell you what to do i never Told, I never like 
said, hey, okay, you stand there, you stand there. I'm gonna do this cool shot where I pan yeah. up from your dress and you look at the camera. Like I never yeah. directed, I just shot what was happening. So I took a really documentary approach because yeah. that's the way I like to shoot. And so I just was hanging out, like doing yeah. what I do. And that was the way I like to work. Yeah. And so then I eventually started uh, doing a little bit more commercial work uh, for uh, advertising agencies would reach out. Um, I did some, I did some music videos and stuff. I think the thing that got me through the transition was like uh, shooting like just fun projects with uh, like with Darren King from Mute Math. We worked on some video projects together and it was really in the Sato 48 here in mm -hmm. town. Started making those. I started to get a little bit of recognition from people that were working in these advertising agencies here mm -hmm. in town. And then they started hiring me to do projects for their clients. And I really enjoyed that also. And then when I got married, I wanted to, uh, I, I basically kind of wanted my weekends back. Yeah, right. Um, because my wife worked a, a, a normal um, eight to five, Monday through Friday job. And so Saturday, Sundays were the days we had together. So yeah. I wanted yeah. to save those. And so I basically quit, like it was probably 80% of my income when I quit doing weddings. At the time you quit. It was, At the time I quit. Wow. And so it was a really big jump. <clears throat> yeah. And but it it definitely paid off and it definitely it picked up it kept coming in yeah so then you so, grow goodwin films at the time to do uh -huh. to do more yeah and then so in the interim i had had goodwin films and and which was really just me yeah um and then joe batty um came along and wanted to start a video production company and so we uh it's kind of a long story, but how'd you guys know each other at that time? Joe reached out to me. He wanted to. It was a random email. Oh, really? You didn't know each random other? Random email. I, yeah, I didn't know him. Oh, I didn't know that. It was a totally random email of like, <clears throat> "Hey, I like your work. I'd like to get together for a cup of coffee." Which, to be fair, like I get probably one of these a week on yeah. average yeah. of someone reaching out. Most of the time, it's people reaching out saying, "Hey, I'm a college student. I just graduated from with a film degree." Do you have any job? Like, yeah. I would like a job. Yeah. Which is a terrible way to to introduce yourself because, like, it's like you're like saying, "I want something from you." Right. Do you know what I mean? This is transactional, it's, and I need yeah. something from you. Hey, I just graduated. Here's my resume. Let me know if you have any job openings. I'd love to work with you. Yeah. And it's like, first of all, I think you probably sent that out to a lot of people. Right. Secondly, like, you want something from me here, and yeah. But I I usually respond with. Um, we don't have any job openings, yeah. uh, but I'd love to get a cup of coffee and talk, talk about what you yeah. want to do and try to help guide you toward that. So yeah. I do have this standing, like, That's cool. I'll get together with you. And which That's is cool. what people should ask for from the beginning is like just advice um, yeah. instead of a job. And so yeah, yeah, Joe yeah. reached out and asked like, hey, uh, I'm doing, I like your work. Would you want to get together and have a cup of coffee? I want to talk about, you know, so we got together on the Starbucks on South Campbell yeah. and sat outside. <laughs> and Joe had a, like basically a buzzed haircut and like yeah. scruff. And which is funny now because his hair is like, like two long. feet long. And, and a beardish. And a beard, yeah. yeah. But he reached out that way. And then um, it was the first guy where um, I saw his work and I went like, I could have shot that. Like yeah. we, our work, that looks so similar. similar. Yeah. And his taste, it wasn't even about the quality because <clears throat> quality was good with the equipment he was using. But it's like, oh, we have, sens we have similar sensibilities. Yeah. And I'd never met anybody that I'd been like, this person, like his work 
is uh, is interchangeable with mine. Yeah. And and I like him, and he's a cool guy, and so I immediately was like, I really want to be friends with him. I hope we can get to be friends and work on stuff together. And That's then funny. We yeah. ended up starting a business together, and we've been doing that for the last three years. I say to people all the time, like in the entertainment world, that like, um, it's got to be like beyond talent. I always say there's, there's like talent and and then maybe more than that is reliability and maybe even more than that is like someone you just want to be around. It's 100% that. It's someone you can be around for more than an hour or two. It's yeah, like totally. So necessary. It takes, when you're shooting these videos, you're on set for eight, 10, 12 hours sometimes. And if yeah. you don't like being around the person, Ugh. it's yeah. not worth it. Yeah. And Joe's a really good hang. He's a great hang. Um, and he's a great person. He's genuinely a great person. Like, yeah. the, there's some people that you like immediately and then they break your heart because you learn they're <laughs> like terrible people. Like, not through and through. Yeah. yeah. But then you're like, there's some people that it's like, Joe is like, I liked him from the beginning and slowly, slow burn, keep liking him more and yeah. more. He's, he's really a tremendous guy. So when I, when I moved to Springfield, it was 2003 and I was just, <clears throat> I was like, It'll take me a few weeks to find a job. I don't know, a few weeks. Yeah. And then uh, cut to, well, so that was February 2003. And then, um, and then I'm just applying, applying, applying. You know, I think it didn't help that mm-hmm. I, I'm from somewhere else, didn't know anybody really. And, um, and then in like September or something, I was like, you know what? I should just call the president of the chamber. <laughs> I'll call him. Yeah. He knows all the jobs. He knows everybody. So I just called him and asked if I could go uh, talk to him and hang out with him. And um, uh, Jim Anderson is his name. And he sat with me for like two hours in his office, like after business hours, and just sat and talked. And then I think, then I put him down as like a reference for the first job I got. <laughs> and like, but like, I, just calling people, calling people that do things that are interesting to you, and then just going and like saying, I don't have any huge ulterior motives here but I just want to, I'm interested, mm-hmm. I think it makes all the difference. Well, and it's like people that, generally <clears throat> people that end up at, as recognizable in their community for the most part, and I don't know if this is true in bigger towns or whatever, mm. but if someone's recognizable in their community for whatever reason, it's usually because they're a, like a generous person. Yeah. It's like, it's not because they, it's usually not because they like stepped on everyone and crawled right. their way to the top and crushed little people it's because they were it's because they have a generous spirit and so like when like they will tell they will like if you ask them to get coffee they usually will or if you yeah. ask them to meet they they love that and you'd be surprised how few people like they yeah you know wanna, i've had that used against me because yeah. i'm bad at getting back to people mm, and yeah. but i i someone had uh <laughs> someone had uh seen me speak at something or something where I was just like, yeah, you just call, call people up and ask to get coffee with them. <laughs> and they're like, hey, you know how you said call people up and ask to get coffee? That's what I'm doing right now. And I was like, I guess I got to. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> but, yes, enough. but yeah, it is a, a generous quality. And just like, I don't know, everyone remembers what it was like when you're just trying to get in. Yeah. And it's so hard to get into something. Um, yeah. So yeah, then, true. so then, the companies blend today, uh-huh. and you do 
I'd say mostly commercial work at this point. Yeah, we are a commercial full service video and film production company. Yeah. And so we, uh, the thing we like doing most is clients will, will, will meet with us and we'll uh, try to solve their problems. We'll try to figure out like what they're actually trying to say. Sometimes if they're like, sometimes they don't even need a video. They're like, hey, I need a <clears throat> two to three minute video for the website. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know. I think you need a new website. Oh, I and remember so, exactly when you did that, uh-huh. that when I came with um, a client with a video. Yeah. And um, oh, that's true. And I never got to make the video <laughs> or get paid because you said what you need is rebranding in a website. That's true. For the context or context for people listening, <laughs> Jeff brought me. Can we say the name of the company or do you not want to? I'd rather not. Maybe I guess. Let's not say it. A nice, good company, local company. Great company. They they come to Jeff. So Jeff's the point of contact, and they're like, "Hey, we want to make some videos with you." And Jeff's like, "Great, uh, I'll do it." And then. <laughs> Jeff's like, Brandon, uh, do you want to make some videos with these guys? And I was like, sure, that sounds awesome. And so let's all meet. Let's all meet. We meet together and I start, we open up their website and look at their branding and their just overall thing. And I was like, you know what? I don't think you need a video yet because if, <laughs> if, if with the video, if you're pointing them to this website, if that's the whole point, this it's website sucks. Right, right. It's terrible. <clears throat> it was like offensive to women. <laughs> like, it was bad at so many levels. And, uh, and we uh, basically said, no, you should redo your logo, redo your website, then we'll make videos. Wait, define we, though, in that scenario. Who said that? Uh, wait, me? Like, I said that. Yeah, you yeah said, I we said, said that. we should. And now, and you were not part of that conversation. No, 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 no. At one point, you, you um, took them aside and said, what you need is a website. Oh, uh, yeah, maybe you weren't there for that meeting. No, I wasn't. It got derailed at some point, and I, I want to confront you about it. <laughs> <I'm> just kidding. <laughs> well, no, you're right, but you're right. And the funny thing is, I, I check back periodically, and they're like, "No, we'll let you know." <laughs> like this video's never going to get made. So yeah, we make them a website and a vi- and uh, a new logo, or I, we point them towards someone that can do that for them. Yeah, they do that, and then they get it all set in place. It's way better. Their business is doing way better, and then they come back to us and say, "Hey, we need these videos." And it's basically instructional videos. And so we make these instructional well, videos. you made videos for him? What? You kidding. don't know that? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay, so we did make videos, yeah, yeah. but Jeff was not in them. <laughs> so Jeff brought us the work, and then we cut him out of the loop. Yeah, yeah. So just be careful. Right. Um, yeah, but, that's, but that's a, yeah. No, that's an extreme case I like to just joke about. We like but. to advocate for the client that we're working with. We should have given you a commission or something. I suppose so. I guess we still could. I mean, good. The money's probably still there. Um, True. No, the but I don't know what the point of that was. But the, the point is, the way we work best, I think, <laughs> is when we cut the original <laughs> idea people out of the loop. No, the where we, the way we work best is uh, clients come to us. They, they say we need. It's usually we need a video. Most of the time, they yeah. do need a video, and then yeah. we help them produce those. And so no, we, but you're right. And we write, produce, come up with the creative concept, all of that stuff. And um, people that don't work in video mm-hmm. are wanting a video and they may have an idea of what they want, but they don't know everything involved. And so having someone to guide them and like help them figure out. Yeah, and having a good idea, like just having a good idea that works and that the concept works, the creative treatment works, and it's like a straight, it's usually the most straightforward approach. Just having that makes it to where 
Um, it just makes the video more fun to work on. It makes the shoot more fun. It makes it more possible. You have momentum. You don't have yeah. this moment where you're like, what are we making? What is this? <laughs> and so it's a lot of times when you try to force a, when you try to force a concept or you just think we need a video and you, it's a lot of people miss, miss it because, yeah. and, and it's not effective. And so it's like when the most fun projects to work on are the ones that are effective that are just a good idea, a basic, simple you all idea. You win. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And like, um, what I often do with with people is like, I mean, we do it with the mystery hour, which is like take an idea, and then simplify it, and then simplify it again, and then make it shorter. And so, like, I do that a lot with working with like video clients as well. Is that like, if you don't understand all that's involved, it's like, okay, this is a great idea. It's also a seven day shoot. <laughs> and we need uh, 500 extras. So to take the idea and simplify it and simplify it. And I always say for comedy that like the, the simplest, idea, simplest idea is always the best idea. Mm -hmm. It's true, it, that's true with, with any yeah. creative. It, and and you, you have to make sure your video is only about one thing. I'll ask people, what's this video about? Well, it's about this and this and this and this. And it's like, all right, that's, you just described four videos. Well, this video can only be about uh -huh. one thing. And I think that's true with jokes to a comedy too. This is about one joke. We are telling one joke here. And everything has to come underneath that umbrella of this. This is the one joke and one concept. Then once you, if you write something on the outside of that, it cheapens it. It makes it worse. And Have we talked about this it. before? Because it's sure. totally. Yeah, I it's mean, the same it's, with, yeah. It's something we do in like in the writers mm -hmm. meetings a lot. It's like, it has, I mean, almost exactly what you say, but it can only be about one thing mm -hmm. because you have to get the people watching it to be like, okay, I know what this is about, and then can follow. If you're bigging around everywhere, mm -hmm. and that's what a lot of like early improvisers do, or you just, because it's, it's good improv, it's an improv rule as well. Like UCB, Upright Citizens Brigade, mm -hmm. says, what's the title of this? What's the title of this scene? There has to be an easy title of it. Mm -hmm. And if it's not there, then it's about too many things. We call it a focus statement. Yeah. In, well, in the journalism world. And the whole idea is you can go deep or you can go wide. Yeah. You cannot go both deep and wide. Yeah. If you go wide, <clears throat> then it's going to be shallow. If you go deep, it's going to be focused in about one thing. And that's always, that's always the objective. It's funny how many, like I've taken like screenwriting, I haven't taken class, I guess. I've ever read screenwriting books. And like that says the same thing that you're saying, mm -hmm. that all the, that we say with the Mystery Hour, that improv says, same thing. It's just like simplify it, make it about one thing and don't drift off of that. You can kind of like come off of it a little bit, but it still has to be tethered to it and come back to it. But mm -hmm. like, it can't be, it can't be all over the place. Yeah, exactly. So, um, all right, are you ready to talk so, Blipcast? Yeah. Do you wanna, did you wanna say something else? No, that's, I mean, the video production is, uh, it's been kind of my life and my career and it's been the thing I've been interested in. And the, in comedy too, like I, I'm a huge fan of just comedy. And so yeah. being able to be a part of Mystery Hour and like having that outlet for making silly stuff with very low stakes and like nobody, we say this all the time when we're shooting stuff, it's like a recurring joke is, between Jeff and I is like, nobody's making us do this. Like we'll right. be on a shoot <laughs> or it'll be me and Jeff doing a hidden camera thing or like sneaking up on people. And we're just like, no one's making us do this. This is just, we're just, and so like, I love that part of it. And so like, I'm glad to have, be part of Mystery Hour too, because it's allowed me yeah. to have that outlet. 
in an otherwise and participate in comedy world, which I yeah. I love, and I wish I, I wish you know I would love to do that all yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, not that I don't like the commercial side, I, I enjoy that too, um, because those clients pay. Yeah, sure. They right. pay like yeah. legitimate <laughs> right. amount of money. <laughs> yeah, but it's yeah, I I like it though. I like it a lot. But yeah, I mean, I can. And you're like, it's like you have that muscle, and if you're like mm-hmm. you can't ever use it, it would be. Hard. Yeah, and so to paint blend as a success or my, or video production as a success, I I would say it's true. It's been really um, a great thing in my life, um, but it started. It didn't start that way. You know, it started just hungry. Like uh-huh. kid, like sleeping on people's couches, taking every opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I looked back at my, uh, like my tax returns from those first few years yeah. when I was getting started. I was making like five, six, seven thousand dollars. Yeah, for those first couple of years, like yeah. in living off of that, like yeah. going to the grocery store with a twenty dollar bill. I didn't even know you could apply for welfare. I didn't know the process. I'm sure oh, yeah. I was eligible, <laughs> but. I, but I was like, I would go to Dylan's with a $20 bill and be like, well, sandwich meat, peanut butter, bread, and that's yeah. it. And so it's like, that's, I don't know how I survived, how I lived, but um, I lived. Nor would on, you advise yourself to do it. You wouldn't do it again, probably. I couldn't do it now. Right, right, I'm right. I'm 34. Yeah. I can't do that now. Yeah. Um, but when I was 19 and my buddy Aaron had an extra room in Nixa and he let me live there for like three years and just pay utilities, <laughs> like that lifestyle of, and that was, it was like my bedroom and my office. Uh-huh. And it was like, and living off of nothing, like in absolute poverty, but I didn't know it. Right. And I didn't care. Yeah. I was like getting to do the thing I wanted to do. I didn't have to go get a job somewhere. Yeah. But if, I mean, I'm married now, we have much more expensive tastes right. and creature over, comforts. Yeah. And it's like, there's no way I could go back to living and in, in doing that. Um, you know what? Actually, there is. If whatever, like, if I had to do that again, I totally would. Yeah. Like, but I can't, it's, I just, I empathize so much with people in their 30s that are coming to this. They, they ask me, like, hey, how did you do this? I want it. And I'm like, well, do you have a mortgage? Are you married? Do you yeah. have kids? Yeah. I didn't have any of those things when I started. I do now, but I don't have kids. But yeah, I could not have done it. Like, so I'm so grateful I took that risk when I was 19 and was just like just scraping by, and it didn't matter. I didn't, right. you know. And so I'm so grateful to pay the dues at that age. But if I had to do it again, over again, I totally would right now as a 34 year old. I believe you. If I was put into that situation, so I'm not sure Morgan would. My wife would not. She yeah. would definitely um, some sort of tragedy <laughs> befalls yeah i don't know though i think she would i think she would it we we could adjust she'd have an income i hope so so in this <laughs> scenario she has an income uh-huh. and you got to start over again oh yeah i would yeah. and if i had to you know i i thought i think about that sometimes like if if it all <clears> went <throat> if everything went away i'd be like well i have a car i would start driving for uber or something, or Lyft. I would become a Lyft dri- Uber driver, and I'd love yeah. it. I'd make lots of friends. Yeah. I would wait tables. I would deliver pizzas. I would do, if I had to, I have zero, pro- like, zero, I mean, I don't know. I think there's a lot you're, to be proud willing. of yeah. in just working hard. Totally. No matter what you're doing or what you're being paid, if you're just putting in a hard day's work, 
and being nice yeah. to people, then I would I would totally yeah. I don't know. And I, I think totally that's a that. very uh, entrepreneur thing to have thought mm-hmm. that through, which is to say that like because you're always there's there's always some uncertainty, and you're just because you don't know like necessarily next year what's gonna what's gonna happen. I don't know what's happening next month. Right. So you're just like you just mm-hmm. have to always be like, all right, this could all go away. Yeah. I guess I'd be happy delivering pizza. I'm fine. I'd be totally. fine. Totally. So you have to always, you're all, but you're always like thinking of it as opposed to someone that has like security in a job that they've had for 10 years that's going to be there forever. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, but what happens if? Well, I don't mean to like inject some fear into people's lives that have regular eight to five, nine to five jobs. But what I say is, I was like, at this point, we've been doing this video production company for 15, 16 years. Yeah. We have dozens of clients, dozens. And if we, we lost one of our biggest clients this last year. Yeah. Biggest clients. We lost them. And we're fine. It's fine. We, we yeah. got more clients. We, it freed up our time. We got more clients. Yeah. What I tell people, they're like, it's just too risky. I need the security of a paycheck. And I say, you have one client. And it's your <laughs> employer. And if you, you get fired, that's 100% of your income gone. Yeah. So I get that it takes a long time to build up clients, but once you do and you build up a reputation, like I just don't believe that I am that a nine to five job is more secure. Well, you've also, I just don't think that's more secure because you're it's yeah. all in one thing. And what happens if you like spend your entire career building up to this and you're you're making a you've got a great six figure income? Like, what do you think? Like, in something happens to the business you're working at, and who are they going to cut? It's like. They cut the people making a lot of money. They, you become the easiest line item to go, yeah. all right, let's get rid of that person and put a 25-year-old in there and pay him a fourth of what we're paying this person. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. Like, that's not job security in my mind. But the it other gets thing, riskier and riskier because your lifestyle grows too. True, so. true, true. But the uh, other thing I would say is that, because it's true for myself, is that you, by, risk, by consistently risking, you build up your comfort with it. Oh, totally. Where someone who hasn't before, it's mm-hmm. the most frightening thing in the world. And so to me, that's been probably the, one, one of the biggest benefits for me of kind of doing my own thing has been being okay with risk and being okay with failure. Yeah. And, and, and you realize, oh, things tend to work out. They, it always comes in. I can't explain it. If you, yeah. if you keep trying at it and you are a good person and you don't burn bridges, yeah. then it, it just keeps, it'll keep coming in and let, until it doesn't. I don't know. That's been my experience the last 15, 16 right. years. But here's the thing. The, the other secret and the trick to it for me 100% is living beneath your means. When yeah. I was making six or $7,000 a year, I was also saving money. Like I was yeah. making sure to not borrow money. I was making sure not to go into debt. Like I got really close to zero a lot of times, but I never went under zero. Yeah. And so it's like, I was making $7,000 a year. I was spending $6,900 a year. Yeah. And as long as you keep doing that, and but again, I was 19, I could do that. Right, right, right. The, um, but as long as you keep doing that and you create buffer in your life where you, where you aren't uh, freaked out about the next, that's why we're not freaked out about the next month is because like you, build buffer so that you don't have to take the next thing. Yeah. It's like, it's, I forget where now, what analogy this, uh, what book this analogy comes from. But it's like when you're driving on the highway, don't tailgate people because if they slam on their brakes, then you're going to hit them. 
Mm -hmm. All you have to do is leave car links in between you yeah. and the person in front of you. And then like you have this buffer and it's like, it's okay if everyone slams on their brakes because you have time. Like, yeah. and so it's the same thing with personal finances, which I'm actually super passionate about. Yeah. Also is like, you have to create buffer and live beneath your means. It's the only yeah. way to be self-employed and not dig a huge hole. Because a lot yeah. of people will dig a very huge hole, leave a lot of bills unpaid all over town. And uh, yeah, I don't know. The stress of that, the yeah. stress of thinking about that. And yeah, and not pay their taxes. It's time for a mid-show sponsor break. Here we go, 1906 Gents. It's a custom design wood shop right here in Springfield, offering custom furniture and build outs for your home or office and more. The 1906 Gents will work with you to create a one-of-a-kind unique quality wood piece that will stand for generations. The 1906 Gents offers a wide range of woodworking and design services in addition to their own line of furniture and home decor. The 1906 Gents, we build the things you make memories around. They're really very good. I don't know anything about wood, but I do know what things look good in my opinion. And in my opinion, their stuff looks great. All right. Also, you brought to you by the E-Factory. The E-Factory works with entrepreneurs, business leaders, startups, and creators to help make Springfield, Missouri the best place in America to start a business. So whether your company is still just a dream or you're in the thick of starting and growing your venture, or you're interested in meeting the people behind Springfield's amazing small businesses, the E-Factory is where you want to be. When you're ready to make something, they're ready to help. Let's get back into our conversation with Brandon Goodwin. So this is all, this is all actually really good background of like kind of, kind of philosophy and kind of where you've gotten yeah. to here. And then, so then, so then you have, you get an idea Mm -hmm. that becomes Blipcast. Yeah. Explain what that is. So one night, you know, and I don't even know if this story is 100% the way it happened, but it's, I've told it so many times, this is the way I tell this story, is uh, I was watching baseball, um, playoff baseball. My wife went to sleep, and uh, our TV was right next to the bedroom, and so mm -hmm. it was like she could hear it, and so I'd have to turn the sound off and just watch baseball with the sound off, which is terrible. Like, it's Ooh. like the commentary is the best... It's like what, it's why you watch, kind of. Yeah. It's terrible without it. So I was like, and I was watching on my Apple TV, and I was like, I can send videos and, and sound from my phone to the Apple TV. Why doesn't Apple TV send it backwards? Why can't, why doesn't, why can't I plug in headphones to my phone and listen to what's going on on my Apple TV? Yeah. Um, and much like now, this, and this was back in 2014. Yeah. And so, uh, uh, Roku now does this. Like you, oh, they okay. totally do that. Apple okay. TV still doesn't. I don't think. Yeah. Um, but so I was, I was thinking about that, and there's like this. I was like, oh, this opened up a whole world of opportunities in my mind. Of like, well, this would be great at gyms. At the gym, if you could just walk into a gym and tune into the channel that you wanted yeah. to see, or airports, or if you're at a church and there's someone that was hard of hearing, they could plug it into yeah. their phone and, and listen. Yeah. It, like anytime there's audio somewhere that you wanted to, uh, that, you, that you needed to hear louder, but not everybody needed to hear it louder. Or even in home, like yeah. you know, if, in my case, or if people are hard of hearing and need, uh, you know, and they don't want to blast the TV and stuff. And so that was the idea. Which is like super simple. And I imagine mm -hmm. you have the process where you Google it, like, does this exist? <laughs> and it's like, 
no, I suppose? Yeah, it existed in some forms. There was one, uh, there was one company doing something like this, but it wasn't for private in-home use. Yeah. It was only in like sports bars and churches and stuff, but they okay. were doing it. Um, the technology, the way we were doing it was a lot different and a lot yeah. simpler and a lot more user-friendly. And so, um, so yeah, it kind of had this idea of, of, you know, let's do this. And, um, and then, then, yeah, I mean, what else do you, I mean, <laughs> well, okay. So, so you, well, That's I, the idea. what I found interesting is that like, I have a million ideas. I have more ideas than I could ever possibly pursue. Me too. Yeah. And rarely do they ever hook me where I'm like, I'm going for it. But okay. you had this idea and you're like, I'm not in yeah. this field, uh-huh. but here I go. I'm following it. Well, I, so a couple years ago, I guess this has been about five years ago, a buddy of mine was going to the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. <clears throat> and he was like, hey, do you... Uh, he was getting married a few months later. And he's like, hey, do you want to come out and hang out? And I was like, yeah, we haven't hung out in a long time. His name's Riley. And I was like, that sounds awesome. Let's do it. Um, and you know what? I think I was going to be in Denver or something on a pitch meeting for a video. And I was just going to pop over on a cheap little flight. That's mm-hmm. what it was. And I booked the flight from Denver to Las Vegas. And I was just going to hang out the weekend with him. That's what it yeah. was. Um, well, my flight or that meeting got canceled, but I still had this flight from Denver yeah. to Las Vegas. And so I was like, ah, that's annoying. I already bought this other flight. And so I basically, uh, and it got canceled the day, like while I was at the airport. Yeah. Jeez. And so I called the airlines. I was like, hey, um, can, you, can you get me a new flight? And they said, we're not sure, but there's one going out today that we can get you on. Mm-hmm. It's out of Tulsa. It's like, but we don't know if we can get you on the flight. But it, it's in like three hours, you know, and Tulsa's <laughs> like three hours three away. Hours. Yeah. So I was like, all right. So I just started driving towards Tulsa. <laughs> and uh, it wasn't until I was entering the city limits of Tulsa. I was on the phone. I was on hold with, I think it was Southwest Airlines the entire time. Mm-hmm. And they were like, we got you on the flight. I didn't find out until I was pulling into Tulsa. <laughs> and so I get to, I, I fly there and it's all that. And we hang out the whole weekend. And I, there's all these cool, at the Consumer Electronics Show, there's this little thing called Eureka Park, which was all these mom and pop shops doing all these cool electronic things. And mm-hmm. I was like, wow, these are amazing. Some of the tech that was coming out. Yeah. And I was like, this is so awesome. I didn't know it was just like small businesses doing this a lot of the times. Yeah. Little, like one engineer and like, or just a husband wife team. And I was like, this is so approachable and so doable. Yeah. And I have this common recurring thing in my life where I think like, I see something and I'm like, I think I could do that. Like, yeah. I just think I can do the, yeah. I don't know. It's an overconfidence and stuff. <laughs> Whether for good or bad. For good or bad. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I was like, I love this. I want to be part of this world. Like I want to do this. And so I think that was lingering in the back of my head while I had, and then a year later I had this idea. Oh, so that happened first. That happened okay. first. And I had this, I-, I had the idea for Blipcast and I couldn't shake it. It, yeah. it stuck with me for months and months and months and months. And I, I had a, I had a little bit left over from, uh, from Goodwin Films. I hadn't Ooh. started Blend at the time. I had a little bit left over from Goodwin Films and I thought, um, well, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to. I'm going to hire an engineer. I'm going 
go through this process, hire industrial designers, I'm going to make a chip, we're going to, and I studied all of the, learned how to make like the prototypes, the, the, the custom printed circuit boards, how yeah. the circuit boards are um, created. How do you, let me ask you this, because I, I think I like, most people would be like, oh, that's, that's an insurmountable amount of knowledge. I don't have that I'd have to acquire to, to start. Yeah. Like, it'd be hard to jump into it. Yeah. What is it that you were like, ah? Well, I called, I, the first person I called was these guys at Kim Studio in Kansas City mm-hmm. who made these awesome looking, just cool products. That, yeah. And so I called them, I was like, you guys make awesome, cool products. Can I, let's, can you help me make this thing? And he was like, oh, we don't do any of the electronics. We just design, they basically just design the plastic. Oh. They just make it look cool. Yeah. They're industrial designers. Which matters. It totally matters. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, so you don't make the things? I'm like, no, 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 we just design them. Mm. And I was like, okay. He's like, you need an electrical engineer. And so yeah. I was like, okay, I'll look for electrical engineers. And so I spent <laughs> months interviewing. I found a few, hired a couple, had to fire a couple, like, because they didn't work out. Yeah. You hire the electrical engineer and you, you tell them what you want to do and they they build, they build a, uh, you know, basically a schematic. It's, they yeah. design out this schematic. It's all math and electrical engineering and yeah. electricity. And, um, and then they make this design and then they send that design to a, a board house. And then the board house will make these computer chips, those green or blue chips mm-hmm. that you see inside of electronics. They start with the board and then they basically design, they make the board based on the schematics of the electrical engineer. Yeah. And then, uh, then you, you know, and obviously if you order one, it's going to be very expensive. If you order 10 million, it's going to be affordable. And so it's very expensive to prototype and you always screw it up on the first couple. And and it's just, it's trial and error. Meanwhile, you're still making films. Still making videos. That's my mainstay. Yeah. But yeah, it was a considerable investment to, to create this prototype and to start this business and to do all of the layout. And I put all of that time, effort, money, and anxiety into it. And yeah. our plan, the whole plan was, let's, let's launch at CES. That was a dream. I was like, I'm going to be one of those people at the booth. Yeah. Let's launch at CES. And then at the same time while we're at CES, let's launch a Kickstarter. Uh-huh. And so we put all of our energy into basically making this Kickstarter. You made a good video, of course. We made a cool video. We, made, uh, we had all the stuff that you would see on a cool Kickstarter. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry, I had to sneeze. All this stuff you'd see on a cool Kickstarter. And we made it like a cool, like it was exactly like what we were seeing these Kickstarters blow up. Yeah. Like these Kickstarters that were raising two, three, four million dollars uh, on, in just like, you know, 30 days. And so we yeah. kind of, we kind of picked a couple and we were like, okay, these guys were really successful. Yeah. Um, it was like a headphone company. And we were like, all right, let's kind of model it after theirs. Uh-huh. We model after theirs. Ours looks just as good. Our video, I think, is better. Yeah. And uh, what's cool about Kickstarter is you, don't, you can't just put an idea on Kickstarter. You have to have a prototype with yeah. electronics. You can't just be like, here's my idea for an electronic device. Oh. You have to make it. And you, you can't show like a rendering. You have to show a physical object. How do they verify that? Or do um, they... They, com- they vet that all out before wow. you in their approval process. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we had to have, like, not just the electrical prototype, the, a working electrical prototype, but we also had to have a, what they call the looks-like prototype, which is plastic encasing for it, that the board would fit inside mm-hmm. of that. And so then, uh, you know, we post, our, our plan was, like, let's post this Kickstarter, let's launch it at CES in January of 20, 
16 it would have been and uh and let's go for it and like we we rapidly prototyped it uh our engineer was awesome and crushed it and like in and our industrial designers were amazing and then the app developer was incredible and uh the design was awesome everything yeah. was in place we had a good video all that stuff and uh this was just right when we were wrapping all that up and I was getting everything to go and bringing in, like I was shipping stuff out on crates to go to, you know, TVs and flooring and backdrops and <laughs> yeah, yeah. stuff to be in this trade show booth. And uh, not cheap trade show no, booths. <laughs> no, especially yeah. not the biggest electronic, yeah. consumer electronic show in the world. <laughs> and so we were like, let's go big with this. Well, yeah. that's all in December. Meanwhile, that month, uh, that's when we shoot Instagram Husband. And that's right. when we post Instagram Husband. And so (laughs) that goes, we do that and it's hugely successful. Like Mm. there's millions of people watching it. I'll walk into a coffee shop and people are watching it in the coffee shop or people are talking. It was like this weird, I know you experienced that even more than I did. Crazy sensation. And so we made that and um, I had this just feeling of like, like it was amazing like to go on that ride and it was a really cool thing but it was also like, I was like, man, we really struck, like lightning struck in a bottle here. Uh-huh. And it, this was a once in a lifetime thing in my mind. And I was like, this thing blew up. Can you do that two months in a row? And I was like, <laughs> what are the odds? What are the odds of this happening in January also? Yeah. And I was like, so I was like excited about it, but also like super anxious because I was like, I this of the two things that I would want to go big. <laughs> I've invested in one. I've invested one, I heavily in one. The other one we shot in about four hours. I edited it in about six hours, and that was it. And I was like, no rhyme or reason. Oh my gosh! And I was like, this thing that we didn't even. I mean, we didn't even try that hard. Right. It blew was, up, and yeah. I was like, this thing I've been putting so much of my life into, so much of my looking back, so much <laughs> of my ego into. Yeah. And uh, I was like, what are the odds? This is also going to work. And so we go yeah. to Vegas. My friend Doug Wilson comes mm-hmm. out, uh, flies in to help at the booth. Wes, the app developer, comes in from, uh, I think he was in San Diego at the time, comes in. Uh, Adam, who designed it, comes uh-huh. in or flies with me. So we're this team of four. You're so excited, I imagine. Oh, we're pumped. I walked, we flew into, uh, I bought these cigars. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I bought these four cigars and uh in uh at the Albatross bef- here in Springfield before we left and I was like these are going to be the celebratory cigars. Yeah. yeah. This is we're going to walk the Vegas strip <laughs> like in a movie <laughs> and like at the end of Ocean's 11 and yeah. watch the fountains yeah, at the Bellagio. Well-tailored suits. Yeah. You've done it. And so we walk we fly in and get this booth set up. And uh, I just remember thinking, my life is about to change. <laughs> like, like, this is gonna, because we, we were gonna set the Kickstarter for $100,000. That was mm-hmm. our goal. Mm-hmm. And I was like. With Kickstarter, you have to hit it. You have to hit the goal, yeah. But secretly, I was like, we're easily gonna hit a million. Like, yeah. Yeah, no yeah, problem. Yeah. Like, this is, like, you always set a goal on Kickstarter to, like, easily blow it away. Yeah. To be like, blow it out of the water. And you have to think that. Yeah, you do. You do. And yeah. so, like, pick an easy low goal. So, like, ah, you know, 100 grand, no problem. And then we'll easily raise a million dollars. 
and uh, this thing will be a breeze. Because yeah. that's the thing. Like that's it is what we needed at that point. We needed another three to four hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. To uh, to manufacture basically. Yeah. And so to manufacture enough to get a price point. You mean or? E, well, yeah. To to manufacture the first <clears throat> like three thousand units okay. basically, and yeah. to be sustainable enough in the future, be able to market, be able to yeah. promote it, and all that stuff. So we're at CES. We set up the booth. The um, like the, one of the TVs is cracked. It's broken. Yeah. It just broke in the freight shipment. <sighs> um, we plug in the devices. They don't work because uh, because there's so many Wi-Fi signals flying around in there. Or we don't actually to this day know exactly why they didn't work. So those didn't. They but didn't, they require Wi-Fi. Yeah. And everyone's using it. Everyone's on the Wi-Fi. So <sighs> we uh, also we don't have any battery packs for them. All these things that could go wrong went wrong. We go to Walmart that night. I buy another. I find an identical television. I buy yeah. it. Um, we buy all the battery packs. We eventually get the devices working. Yeah. Um, we set up, and uh, and it's raining. It's raining in Las Vegas, which is weird yeah. and rare. And I'm just like, this is not going to go well. <laughs> that night, oh, so we get the booth set up. That night, we launched the Kickstarter <clears throat> and in our hotel room. And uh, the immediately, it like kind of blows up on Kickstarter. Like within hours of launching, maybe we launched it the next morning, maybe we stayed up all night, I can't remember. But we launched it and um, like, I don't know, $20,000 in like a couple hours. Yeah. And I was like, here we go. This is it, this is happening. And then I get, I can't even tell you how many phone calls and text messages and like, congratulations. And like, Brandon, Uh this is us. Like all of my friends that saw this were so excited (laughs) and so pumped. And I was just like, it's happening, it's working. (laughs) And so so we go to CES at that first day and we're, um, you know, doing the trade show booth thing, demoing it for people and stuff. And right next to us, the booth next to us that we're sharing, like we're hanging out with the whole time. Mm -hmm. It's the headphone people that we copied their Kickstarter. Not copied. We just like very much inspired by. Inspired by. Like we yeah. copied their format, yeah. which is what everybody does. Yeah, yeah. And I was just like, what are the odds? And I was like, you guys totally inspired us. This is amazing. The serendipity yeah. of this. Like, yeah. this is so cool. And they were like the coolest people. They were so nice. Uh, we went to Walmart with them, actually. Yeah. Um, and to whenever everything went bad, they were just the coolest people. <laughs> and uh, and um, it was basically on day two when we noticed that what we can see on the back end is a chart on the back end of Kickstarter, uh-huh. you see this graph and you see when you peak, you see it yeah. because you see when it starts going down. Yeah. yeah. And we realized, I, we realized, oh, at around $30,000, it stopped and it crested and it started to go down. Yeah. And so that was the moment of like, oh my gosh, this isn't going to work. <laughs> so like Months day of two work, of the launch. Day two of the like, launch. Ooh. And we're on and we have like five days of sitting at this trade show booth for eight hours, ten hours a day. <laughs> and uh, that's when I knew and that's when I started to kind of have these like I think a panic attack really that lasted yeah. a week. Yeah. I didn't really sleep. Uh, I was up all night, like just not able to sleep, had to go put on put it on and turn it on at the show. And yeah. it was 
so hard. And you're like, maybe if I change this on the site, maybe if I do this, maybe uh-huh. if we do a Facebook push, maybe, and it just, at that point, there's nothing you can do. Yeah. And I didn't know that. And so all the other guys were like, dude, quit freaking out. You're panicking. And I know I was panicking. And, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's whenever, like, you know, and I was I'm probably in denial for that whole week thinking maybe something, maybe something. And no, it's very, very difficult to fail, for it to realize you're going to fail. And nobody else really knows yet. They Because uh, they still think, like, oh, so oh day three, $30,000, great. Yeah. For me to know it was going to fail. And I put I put Because you've done a Kickstarter my, before, is that why? You yeah, knew? we did a Kickstarter first of documentary that went yeah. very well. Yeah. And raised over you know, $50,000 to... You, you knew what it was supposed to look like. We blew it out of the water in the last yeah. one. And so, um, yeah, the, that was a huge, huge, huge disappointment. But there's the Kickstarter and CES. I'm sure you're like, maybe there's an investor that's going to come by. And yeah. Get to get it what I click, quickly learned about having a trade show booth is, for the most part, it's people coming by to pitch you things. <laughs> you're yeah. a sitting duck. And they're going to go, they're going to walk around... And I, I, I mean, we made some good contacts and stuff through CES, but most of it is like, someone be like, hey, tell me about Blipkiss. And you're like, oh yeah. And then you give them the two minutes spiel and they say, oh, that's cool, that's cool. Anyways, I'm, uh, I do marketing for a living. If you guys ever need anything and they hand you your card and you're like, thank you. And then you throw their card in the trash. And so it's like, <laughs> it's the worst for that. It sucks. Cause you just, you have to, you have to. Yeah give everybody the show and then uh and then you know some of them are just pitching you and it's it sucks but you know i still think it was worth doing what i didn't realize though and what i would never do again is is uh launch at ces the same week it's you're literally in a room full of thousands of other vendors Uh everyone is screaming for attention everybody wants attention and it's like you think you're gonna go get attention where everyone's looking for attention that's just like one of the it just wasn't a good way to do it i in hindsight i would have just promoted the kickstarter the pre-launch so Uh now for kickstarters people do pre-launch campaigns where it's just like hey this is the date it's gonna it's gonna launch that's that's they'll spend thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars on just promoting the launch date of their kickstarter Yes. Yeah. And they'll do pre pre launch campaigns. Like there's, it's so multi level like meta now of uh-huh. of gaming the Kickstarter crowdfunding model that yeah. we I was unaware of, and right. and so yeah. And the the crazy <laughs> thing about it though was the the really really crazy thing was I, I asked the the headphone people next to me I was like I was like will you look at my Kickstarter like. And they're like, yeah, this looks awesome. Who did you have do this? And I was like, oh, we did it. And they're like, oh, okay. And I was like, well, I was like, what did I do wrong? Because <sighs> um, they they were literally they would go to lunch and come back and have made an extra like two hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> like theirs had exploded so much, and like I think it was one of the biggest Kickstarters of all time. Wow. This company next to us, and they're like, you know, meeting with all these. All these people want to invest. They're, a couple of them are moving to China to go like, <laughs> be around the manufacturing. And I was like, what did I do wrong? And they're like, well, they're like, well, who's your... Uh, well, no, I asked them. I was like, how did you, how did you do this? They're like, well, we hired a, a marketing firm to do all of our stuff. 
Oh like there's a marketing firm that that did everything, and yeah. I was uh, you know all of the the Kickstarter campaign and all the marketing materials and stuff. And I was like, okay, well, what did that cost? And they're like, oh, they take like thirty percent. Yeah. Jeez. And I was like, thirty percent. I was like, you you raise you know ten million dollars, they're gonna take three million dollars. Like at that time, I knew our manufacturing margins weren't yeah good enough to be able to handle that. Yeah. Uh, we wouldn't have enough profit. And so I was like, oh, we can't give up 30%. We're already yeah. trying to keep the price low. And so they're like, yeah, we already had that. And then it was like, okay, well, and I was like, how'd you get in all these articles and you know, all this, you know? Yeah. And they're like, well, we have a publicist and the publicist charges $1,000 for every, every, anytime there's an online article or like a publication, any, any of those things, he gets paid $1,000. So we're gonna pay him a couple hundred thousand dollars at least. And I was like, <laughs> oh, interesting. And then I was, and then I was like, well, how do you how do you have the manufacturing margins for this? Like you're yeah. gonna have to give away at least fifty percent and the fees that Kickstarter takes uh-huh. and the credit card processing. And the, I was like, you're gonna have to give away half of this money that you're raising. Like, how are you doing this? And they're like, oh, well, we already have investors that are already gonna make <laughs> the product. So this is we're just using this as a marketing campaign. Uh. <laughs> And you're just going in wide-eyed, like, this is how Kickstarters work. Everyone recognizes a good idea Uh and throws in some money. Yep. There's a whole industry. And I'm sure some of them still happen that way. Yeah. But there is, there are, most of the people that came by our booth were people that had uh, crowdfunding marketing companies. That they do that. They're an ad agency that's just for crowdfunding campaigns. They'll build out your campaign. They'll pump a couple hundred thousand dollars into it, too. Uh, to make sure everybody Jeez. on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook sees it, yeah. and it will be seen. So if you if you've seen a Kickstarter or a crowdfunding campaign, it's because a marketing company is paying for that to show up in front of you, and that's why it's blowing up. Uh. It's not always because it's a good idea. Sometimes it is, though. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. also, you know, I, that's the game that's being played right now that I don't think a lot of people realize when right. they see crowdfunding campaigns. Not that all of them do that. I think most of them kind of you and you kind of have to. But probably in like the compete. ones in the million dollar range. Like when someone's like, I had a goal of 10,000, I yeah. got 30,000, good on you. That's probably I can't pure. even judge the people that are hiring the marketing. It's all people seeing opportunity and yeah. taking and jumping on it. I it's, can't blame them. I just wasn't aware of the game yeah. going on. I played it differently. And I don't also don't, I don't want to, maybe it just wasn't a good idea too. You know what I mean? Maybe yeah. we just didn't execute well. So, so yeah. So then, so you have the internal failure while right. you're there amongst the friends that are there with you. Right. And you feel like you've ruined this opportunity at CES or whatever. But then there's also like the Kickstarter angle that's like, all right, I've had this idea. I've been working on it quietly, quietly. Here it is, everybody. Yeah. And everyone sees the number compared to the goal. Yeah. Was, was that a whole... Was that hard? Well, that's a psychological truth of Kickstarter. When people realize yeah. you're not going to make your goal, they're not going to back it. Yeah. So it's a it's a self-fulfilling little psychological prophecy there. Yeah. But also, like, I'll tell you the worst thing about it was, remember when everybody was like, when I launched, it was like texting, calling, uh-huh. Brandon, this is so awesome. Congrats. This yeah. is amazing. Even on my Facebook, like just so many like <laughs> wonderful messages. And then whenever it was obvious it was gonna fail yeah crickets nothing 
<laughs> I didn't hear a single thing from a single person. Yeah. Because they knew it was going to fail, like at a certain point, and yeah. they didn't want to bring it up. Right. And Afterwards, I you can say, I'm so sorry that happened. Yeah. Well, in the middle of it, there's this horrible window. There's this quiet, there's this quiet silence. <laughs> there's this silence. And I would do it too, you know, I wouldn't reach yeah, out yeah. and be like, hey man, sorry that didn't work, like while it was not working. <laughs> and you don't want to be like, it could still work. Yeah, you don't want to yeah. encourage it either. But um, but yeah, this, it was that silence that was just like, okay. Yeah. It, and it's validating that you know everyone else knows it's going to fail. <laughs> <laughs> like, the silence is validating. It is, yeah. <laughs> it's like really solidified the reality of what was happening. So what did... I know there, I know that that story continues as you were like seeking out other avenues and stuff. Yeah. But what did you what did you learn about failure? Um well, to be clear, Blipcast is still a possibility. It's yeah, still okay. our intellectual property. We still have prototypes. If an investor comes along now and wants to do it, we would do it. Yeah, yeah. For yeah. sure. Yeah. I think we got to a point where I was in so many investor after that, we went to investors pitching, you know, pitching the idea, pitching the concept. And you had some interest. It's not like it's a failure of an idea. I, I may be describing it wrong. Yeah, no. I mean, we definitely had people. I had some people interested along the way. We had some deals come very, very close. Mm-hmm. Um, I've even had individuals come to me and say, hey, I'd like to back this as an yeah. individual. And when I explained to them, and, I mean, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so, mm-hmm. and really nice friends to say that. Yeah. And I said, well, can we still hang out if I lose your money? Because this is a risky thing. This is a risky investment. Like, I can't hand this over to you and say, I know this is going to work. Yeah. And then yeah. And they would say, what do you mean not going to work? <laughs> like, <laughs> We're supposed like, to talk that language. Yeah. And I was like, well, it's possible. It's a risk. Yeah. And I was like, this isn't a surefire thing. Yeah. And I was just very honest with them about, you know, I, of course I want it to be successful, but also... No, I'm not gonna. Um, can I? I asked, can we still hang out if I lose your three hundred thousand dollars? Yeah. And they were like, like almost had a panic attack. <laughs> and I was like, okay, we can't do it then. We can, this isn't the way we can do it. If well, you had, the less ethical if, way to do it is to say uh-huh. is to be the schmoozy marketing guy. It's like, yeah, it's gonna work. Here's how you gotta do it. Here's well, how yeah, you gotta do I don't it. Know. Give me your money. I think it's the Midwest, uh, like. Self-deprecating. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Probably true. underplay things a little bit. Yeah. And it, like be a little conservative with the, with the whole idea. I don't want to disappoint people. Is what yeah, it yeah, is. Yeah. I don't want yeah. to disappoint, especially not my friends. Right. You but need if, a stranger. But if an outside investor was worth fifty million dollars and they wanted to give us three hundred thousand, yeah. They know the risk. They would. They and that's calculated. And people that do that, yeah. people that invest in that sort of thing, are used to used to risk like that. Yes. Yeah. And and to this day, it, there might there might be something that happens with it. I don't know. Yeah. We're like uh, we're trying to decide what that step forward is. But the big crux of of the of that Kickstarter failure uh-huh. was was totally totally a failure. And it was it was something I put months of my life into, way too much of my self esteem into, uh-huh. and like how I valued myself, how I saw myself. Um, I'd never really tried something that big before yeah. and it not work out. Yeah. And so it was hugely disappointing. And yeah. um, I think like, yeah, I got, I got depressed after that. Uh-huh. I think I was depressed the whole time, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I think the whole, 
the anxiety and depression were kind of the same thing. The anxiety right. of the buildup and the depression that followed uh-huh. was, I think, the same thing. Yeah. Different faces of it. Yeah, I always think that anxiety is just um, depression that says, I got to do something about this. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, totally. Totally. And um, I guess what I learned about failure through, you know, and this was going to th- therapy through all of it and stuff, mm-hmm. is like, is like that it's good to try stuff and um ultimately like i survived it uh-huh i survived what i thought would have been the worst unthinkable thing yeah i thought it would be terrible if we only raised a quarter million dollars yeah. i thought we were gonna raise a million dollars yeah and so to to raise 35 33,000, whatever it was and to um and you don't get any of it if you don't uh-huh. make your Kickstarter goal. It was like, it was such a shock and such a disappointment. But, and it was, it was truly, truly painful and yeah. truly humiliating. And I was truly embarrassed about it. Um, but I was talking to my therapist and he was like, well, you survived. You're yeah. not dead. You're yeah. here. And I was like, oh yeah. Like I went through the, what I thought was the worst thing that could uh-huh. have happened to me, and I'm t- still here. And yeah. he was like, also, other people don't think less of you. Yeah. You know, like realizing that like, none of your friends, none of your friends think less of you. We never they, th- don't, they don't care. We never thought of you as <laughs> the blip gas guy. <laughs> like, yeah. that's Brandon, he's gonna be successful with this uh-huh. invention. And he's like, your friends don't think less of you. Yeah. No one thinks less of you. No one else yeah. thinks you're a failure. Uh, yeah. And you're still here. And And I really, I took that personally and it's like, and in a weird way for me, I thought, oh, I, I tried the biggest thing I've ever tried in my life. Um, I failed at it and it didn't kill me. Uh-huh. Like in a weird way, like now I feel invincible. Yeah. Like I can do anything <clears throat> now mm-hmm. because I know that like failing doesn't, you don't, you get it, go, you get to try again. Yeah, you get totally a try again, as yeah. long as you keep your mental health and you keep your, you know, you as long as you keep your health, you get yeah. to try again. It's like, oh, that wasn't that big of a deal. I put too much pressure on myself. Yeah, I made it into too big of a deal. And when I, you know, you know this, but when I moved to LA mm-hmm. to go for it. Ended up being about a year, and um, and I would say that it changed my relationship with failure. Yeah. Whereas, like, I've always been, and I still am to a certain extent, but just someone that's kind of afraid of failure. Yeah. Um, but then, like, going through it, and I didn't have any successes, really. Uh-huh. Uh, going through, going, going through your failure, yeah. it, it, you're like, oh, oh, it's not, so, it's not so bad. It isn't. It's fine. It isn't. Yeah. And when you get to, like, you're, it's almost like you're in charge of your narrative, where it's like, um, yeah, that failed. Mm-hmm. But I get to decide if it's something that crushes me or if it's something that I learned from. That sounds cheesy, I guess, but like I think it's true too. I think so too. I know you got to go in a minute. Not yet. Um, <clears throat> but also with the title of the podcast, make something where you are. Yeah. About like what are your thoughts on whether it's Blipcast or Blend or whatever um, lends itself maybe more to Blend, but just about making something here, whether we're in Springfield, whether it's Springfield or elsewhere, but. I know you're passionate about like doing it, doing it here, and that you don't have to go somewhere. Yeah, totally. Um, 
Well, here's the other here's the other silver lining to all of this. Um, the one of the big reasons in my life why I don't do Goodwin Films now, which was just me, mm-hmm. and I did partner up with my current business partner, um, was because I was I wanted to try Blipcast, and I kind of let go of Goodwin Films. I oh, kind yeah. of was like, I'm doing Blipcast now, oh. and so with Blend, it was like Joe is like, I'll do all the production, and then I would handle clients and yeah. accounting and bookkeeping and invoicing and that yeah. stuff. And so I was, that's how Blend kind of started, was <laughs> because I let go of what uh, I was doing and tried something new. Yeah. And then um, Blipcast was this huge failure and it didn't work. But out of the ashes of that uh, was born this new production, in a way, a new production yeah. company. Yeah called blend that that is better and more successful than goodwin films was yeah and i'm more energized to be part of it yeah um because i was getting kind of burnt out on advertising work there at the end of goodwin films but now re-energized re-motivated learned so much about trust and letting go and not controlling things and it's enabled me to be a better business partner i think yeah in blend and serve clients better and establish trust better and yeah. not take everything so personally and try to control everything. Yeah. It's made me better at my job now. So yes, that was a huge uh, failure and destruction of mm. something. But if you, it, in whatever circumstances happened, like we were able to rebuild from that and it's, it's even better now. Yeah. It's better than it was. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't, want the money back i wouldn't want the experiences back yeah i wouldn't trade any of it because i just wouldn't it, it was yeah and it was a pretty cheap education and how electronics are made too i have right. an understanding of that and yeah i didn't have to go i didn't have to go to a single class so <laughs> yeah but yeah and um i don't know if that's that that's not the question you asked you asked make something where you are um I think that's what everyone does. I think that's what even like the people you've heard of, like if they're, even if they're in Hollywood or New York now yeah. or wherever, your like idol of whatever your industry is, they were probably just making stuff in their hometowns too. They right. probably just wanted to move to LA or New York to, you know, because that's where the industry was. But yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't know. Like I tell people, um, you're gonna like, like I was talking to this to a, this 18 year old kid that just graduated high school, he's going to college, and he was asking for career advice. And I was like, well, I'm 34 now. Like, I'm almost twice your age. Mm -hmm. Um, You're gonna, like, spend the next 10 years of your life doing something. Someday he's gonna wake up and he's gonna be 28, 30 years old, whatever. So, like, just whatever you spend that 10 years doing, you're gonna be pretty good at it. Whether it's skateboarding or video production or writing or smoking pot and playing video games. Like whatever you spend that 10 years doing, you're gonna be great at it at the end of that 10 years. <laughs> so just pick something you wanna do. Pick something you wanna be good at 10 years yeah. later. And so like that's, that's kind of like that's pretty good. the advice I give to, to those people. And that is, and for me, it was making something here in Springfield. Yeah. And I have no initial plans of leaving. And if I do, you know, like you can go to LA or New York and it's still gonna be you that's there. You're still going right. to feel like you trying to do something there. So yeah. I don't feel this draw or pressure to stay or go. Right. 
Right, yeah. I don't know. But I don't know if that answers your question. No, it's good. I remember feeling like when I moved to LA, being like, like you were at CES, of like, um, oh, I've come to the place where everyone's trying to do the exact same thing as me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How yeah. do I, all screaming for attention. Everyone saying, pay attention to me. Yeah. And that's very hard to get any attention. <laughs> right. It's better to go to a place where there aren't other people doing it, almost. Yeah, I mean. Not I entirely, but. Here, I believe this. I believe you should go where you're going to. I heard this on another podcast. I heard this on Pete Holmes' podcast. Mm -hmm. Is go be somewhere you can thrive. Yeah. If you can thrive in your hometown, go to your hometown. If you're going to thrive in that next up city, whatever, go there and thrive. If, you're, if you need Los Angeles, Hollywood to thrive, like that's the environment you're going to thrive in. It's yeah. like people should go where they're going to thrive. And I think that's pretty right. true. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's almost like I wouldn't want to um, counter the idea of going somewhere right. big or something, but then with another dogmatic thing of saying, no, but you have to, no, what you have you to have do You have to stay in your hometown and do it. Because like, yeah. Because that's not true either. It no. comes down to like, it comes down to like mental health and like yeah. <laughs> really, because you can, because, and finding out who you are uh -huh. and what you need and stuff. And like, maybe that'll always be the point of all these interviews because I talk about it a lot. But like, it, com it comes down to that more than any sort of destination, even if the destination is staying where you are. Yeah, you, well, you can't escape yourself. So yeah. you're going to be wherever you go. And so you're going to, the only choice is to make something where you are. Where you should go is your therapist's office. <laughs> that is true. Go to therapy. <laughs> go to therapy. I'm actually going to change the name of this podcast to, to go, go to, to therapy. therapy. <laughs> this is not therapy, go to but therapy. go to therapy. This is therapy. This is also therapy. Yeah. Um, well, cool. We did yeah. it. That was it. That was good. Thanks. You going to make your lunch? I'm going to get lunch with my dad. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank I you. appreciate working with you and all that stuff. I know. Likewise. It's fun. It's a treat. See? Failure doesn't have to kill you. And if it doesn't, you have a good story to tell. If you'd like to learn more about Brandon's video work, check out blendstudio.com. Make something where you are. It's audio engineer is Colton Jackson. Also, podcast music provided by Darren King. This is Jeff Houghton in the Make Something City, Springfield, Missouri, reminding you that you can make something where you are. <laughs>